0: Father, as we uh, open up your word again tonight, I thank you for the fact that you're going to be teaching us. You're going to be helping us to understand a little bit about the book of Revelation, but a lot about you and your, your character, your nature, your plan for the world. And Lord, as we do this study tonight, I thank you that you're going to be helping us understand the whole book of Revelation a lot more as we really look at who you are and what your wrath is and, and how you uh, not only accomplish it, but demonstrate it and reveal it and execute it But at the same time, there's great news in this message tonight, Lord, from Your Word, that we can avoid it. So Lord, tonight, as we uh, take a look at Revelation chapter 15, help us to understand even more, if we don't already, help us to understand even more about who You are and Your wonderful plan through Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. We're in chapter 15 tonight, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read again, I'm going to read just the eight verses. But we're going to be focusing on verse 1 most of the time, and by the end of the study, if we have time, we'll come back and deal with the people standing with the harps and singing the Song of Moses and what the Song of Moses possibly is. So let's deal with chapter 15, verse 1 and following. It says, "...I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed." And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, the King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy, all nations will come and will worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked in in heaven, the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now next week when we come back, we'll deal with the actual seven bowls or seven uh, vials and to your your translation of the wrath of God and what they are and what goes on. But for tonight, let's go back to chapter 15, verse 1. How John says he saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with the seven last plagues, because with them God's wrath is completed. As we can see at this point in the Tribulation, God's going to be bringing His wrath on mankind to an end. Now, I believe that the wrath has been executed and being demonstrated throughout the whole of the uh, seven-year Tribulation period. There are some that think that the wrath of God doesn't begin until the second half. I believe from my study of the Scripture, and we've been looking at that already, that the wrath of God starts in day one in many different ways. And it gets amped up tremendously during the second half uh, after the Antichrist has stepped into the uh, temple and declared himself to be... So what we're going to deal with tonight though is what does the Bible actually say about God's wrath? And here are some questions we're going to try to answer tonight. Is God demonstrating His wrath now? Uh, What does His wrath look like? Who receives it? Who doesn't? So we're going to deal with those questions tonight about the wrath of God, and the best place to get started is in Romans chapter 1. Now we're going to be taking Romans chapter 1 into chapter 2. A lot of times people will teach on the wrath of God, and they'll finish at the end of chapter 1, but there's a lot more to it in this whole section, and again, keep in mind, when you read the Scriptures, when Paul wrote what he wrote here in Romans, he didn't write chapter 1 and then stop, and then write chapter 2. He wrote this letter to the church there in Rome, and... We have had, since then, people come back and break it up into chapters and verses for studying purposes, and it makes it easier, definitely, to find where we are. But don't let the numbers stop you sometimes. If you're willing to keep reading, you're going to see a connection. As we do that, you'll see the same thing. So in chapter 1, verse 18, this is what God says to Paul. He says, "...the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness." Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Now because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women, and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion." Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now you, therefore, though, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up God's wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now, this is a very big, long section, and we're going to take some time to break this down. But the first thing we can see right now is that mankind is experiencing some of God's wrath right now. Look back at verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed... "...from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness." And he goes on to say that God's revealed who He is and that everybody's without excuse that God exists. It's interesting, I was talking with somebody today after I was preaching at this one church, and he was talking about how he has friends that don't believe that God exists. But then they get mad and say, but if He does exist, He's this kind of horrible God. And we got talking about the fact that it's interesting that they're getting mad at someone they don't think exists. And I told this man, I said, you know, I don't get mad at the boogeyman. You know, I don't think he existed. I don't get mad. I don't get mad at Santa Claus. You know, I, I, I don't think he exists. It doesn't make me mad. Now, it doesn't make me mad that some people think that he's real or people think he's real for a time. Doesn't bother me. I know he's not real and doesn't doesn't upset me at all. But some people who claim there's no God sure get mad at God, don't they? All right. If the Bible says that there's no one without excuse, actually, you know, I think the Bible teaches there are no such thing as atheists, only cowards. There are those who will not acknowledge what God has revealed that he exists. But here it says that his wrath is being revealed toward mankind, at least a little of it. We're not seeing the fullness of his wrath yet. That's going to be coming as we've been seeing in the book of Revelation in the tribulation period, and at the very end as we're about to read, it gets really amped up. But according to this passage of scripture, what are some of the ways that God is revealing his wrath? I think he has been giving letting giving them into to their, their lusts. In other words, what, he, what, what, what Jeannie was just saying here was this, is when God lets you go down the road that He says don't go down, it's a measure of receiving His wrath, but it's not because God's angry at you or anything, it's just simply of, you want to walk with Me, I'll protect you. You want to walk away from Me, I'll let you receive the due penalty for disobeying. The consequences, you know, I use this illustration when I was preaching about this a little bit earlier today at this one place. If I designed this motor, and I created this motor, and I said to you, look, with this motor, I want you to only use Penzoil 10W30. You, you can try to use other motor oils if you want, but it was created to best work with Pennzoil 10W30. Would I be a jerk for saying that that's the only motor oil you could use? No. I created the motor. I know what will work best with it. Now you can choose to use these other kinds. It won't run as well. It won't work as good. And this is when we see God saying thou shalt not. It's not because he's a killjoy. It's not because he wants to steal our fun. He's the one who created us. He wired us. He knows what's best for us. He knows how our bodies will function healthily versus unhealthily. If we would just listen to what he says go down this This road, and don't go down these roads. But if you want to go down those roads, I'll remove my hand of protection and you can receive some of the consequences of the choices. It was interesting, I don't know how many years ago it was, over 20 years ago now, I was uh, doing my student teaching at Mel High. I got my degree in physical education from Flagler College before I went off to seminary in New Orleans. And uh, as my finishing up my degree, I had to do my student teaching. And I did my student teaching here at Mel High, and it was right about the time that the AIDS epidemic was starting to be revealed. And uh, I was teaching a health course. And so I was now teaching health, and I was teaching all the different ways that you can get it because at that time we didn't know a whole lot about AIDS but it was scary and i was giving them all these warnings and this one kid stood up he literally stood up in the class and said well how do you not get it Well, because I wasn't worried about getting fired, and I knew I wasn't going to be a teacher, I decided now's a good time to preach. And so in that health class at Mel High, I said, here's how you don't get it. You don't have sex with anybody until you're married. You find a girl who has not had sex with anybody until she marries you. And the two of you have plenty of sex together, but with nobody else. And you don't take any drugs, and you don't do anything stupid like that. You won't get AIDS. You know what this kid said? He sat down and he said, I don't want to do that. (laughs) You want to go down that road? You can go down that road. The wrath of God is being revealed already against mankind. If they want to continue to walk in disobedience, it's not because He wants to steal their fun. He created them and He knows what's best for them. But the Bible also shows us here that God hasn't given us the full measure of His wrath yet. Why? Look over here, uh, and starting in verse uh, three. So when you a mere man, uh, chapter two, by the way, of chapter two, verse three. So when you a mere man pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you not think you will escape God's judgment? It's still future. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what He has done. As much as God's wrath is being revealed, we're only seeing a portion of what the wrath of God is going to be because ultimately one day, once we have... Past our opportunity for salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, He is going to then give everybody what they deserve. So what we're going to do real quick is we're going to do a little study from this passage here where it says God will uh, give to each person according to what He has done. So I want some help here, and I'm going to give some Scriptures out for you guys to, to look up. Uh, somebody wants Psalm 62, 11, and 12. All right, Jeannie you got this one? I saw your hand, Allison. You got Matthew 16:27. Somebody else want to take Proverbs 24, verse 12. I saw that hand. Scott's got it. All right, and uh, Matthew twelve thirty three through thirty seven. You have it, okay? And Psalm one thirty nine one through four. AJ, you want that one? Okay. All right. Now we just see here that God says. That God will give to, according to Romans 2.6, God will give to each person according to what He has done. Now, those of you that have these passages, I want you to read them good and loud so they'll get picked up on the, on the recording for those who are listening on the website. Because I actually, praise the Lord, have heard that quite a few people actually are listening to this recording of this, these Bible studies. So, praise the Lord for that, but make sure you read loud for them. So, Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong. And that you, O oh Lord, are loving, surely you, were, you will reward each person according to what he has done. You see that? Now that reward according to what he has done could go both ways. And we're going to see that down the road. Alright, but here, that talks about how God's loving, he's also strong, and he re- rewards everybody according to what they've done. All right, the next one is Psalm 16, verse 27. I'm sorry, Matthew 16, verse 27. Alright, again, when Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period, He's going to recompense everybody according to their deeds. It gets worse. Proverbs 24, verse 12. If you say that He knew nothing about this, does not he, he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not He who guards your life know it. Will He not repay each person? He's talking about God, and it's saying the person says, "Well, we didn't know." And this, the scripture goes on to say, "But God does, and God knows, and He's going to record everybody, re- repay everybody for what they've done." Uh, Matthew chapter twelve, verses thirty-three through thirty-seven. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good; or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of your heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Now Jesus says, not only does God know everything, you're going to be held accountable for every idle word or careless word you've ever spoken. Makes you look forward to that day, doesn't it? Alright? Psalm 139, verses 1-4, through AJ. O O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Mm. You just read that He's gonna hold us accountable for every idle word. Psalm one thirty nine says He even knows it before it makes our tongue. He knows our thoughts. There's a couple times in Scripture while Jesus was doing some miracle of healing that the Pharisees were sitting there thinking bad thoughts about Jesus. And Jesus would say to them, why are you thinking bad thoughts? And He'd tell them exactly what they were thinking. But don't you to understand that the Scripture says that God knows everything, your thoughts, your actions, your words, and one day judgment is coming where every single individual will be held accountable for what they've done. Let me, turn with me to the book of Revelation. I want you to all see this. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to break this down in a lot more detail when we get to chapter 20 um, in 2011. But, uh, um, but I'm joking. But look at verses 11 and following. Look at what's going on. This is the judgment of all those who reject Jesus Christ and God's offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, chapter 20, verse 11, and Him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from His presence. He's not going to be fun to be around at this time. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here we see that everybody that comes to this judgment is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But before they're thrown into hell, what happens? Books are opened and everything that was recorded that they had done in their lifetime, they're going to be held accountable for it. We can't go beyond what the Scripture teaches. But it's obvious that there are levels of punishment in hell. Some people will suffer more than others. God keeps track of it all. And they will be judged according to what they've done as recorded in the books. Go ahead. Why why would some people not be in the books? Well... We're going to break that down when we get to it. But everybody at this is not in the book of life. Because this is a judgment only for unbelievers. This is a judgment only for unbelievers. Okay? But like I say, we'll study it a lot more when we get to chapter 20. But just I want you to see that when it comes time for the unbelievers to be judged, God's going to hold them accountable for everything they did before He throws them into hell. Alright? So don't let anybody tell you, I'd rather be in hell with all my friends. You know what I'm saying? You ever heard that one? It's not going to be that way. Oh, when you see the pictures of Satan ruling hell. Folks, Satan isn't ruling hell. He's going to suffer in hell just like those who reject Jesus Christ. All right? So, let's go back now to Romans chapter 1 and and, uh, 2. Because where we left off, though, we saw, though, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, that God is holding much of his wrath back right now. But for what purpose? That's a question. For salvation, for repentance. It appears, according to this passage, and we're going to look at it in more detail, that it's possible to avoid the wrath of God. Alright? God's keeping track of everything. But it's also, He says, that you show contempt... For, for the riches of His kindness, verse 4, tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. In other words, the reason He hasn't wiped you off the face of the earth already is because He wants to give you an opportunity to avoid His wrath. That's what He's doing. And so then it goes on to say, in verse 5 and following, But because of the stubbornness of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. And God will give to each person according to what He's done. But look at what it says in verse 7. And we have to break this down because it could be confusing. It says, To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and reject the truth and follow evil, there'll be wrath and anger. Alright? So, here it says that you can get eternal life and not face His wrath by doing what? And don't put words in the Scripture. Tell me what it says right here. It just says, by doing good and seeking glory and honor and immortality. Now, let's be honest. That, if we read it just like that, we'll say, hang on for a second. I thought the Bible teaches that you don't get to heaven by being good. Right, and, but look at what it says. It says, with those who, pers- through persistence in doing good, seek glory and honor and immortality, God will give them eternal life. Now, here's what we're going to deal with. This right here is a perfect example why you should never use one verse of Scripture to build your doctrine or your theology. You need to understand the whole of Scripture to interpret every verse of Scripture. Now, when I grew up... I didn't even know what different denominations were. I didn't even know what a denomination really was until 1984. I got saved in '73, but I really didn't know much about different denominations until 1984 when our family moved from New Hampshire down to Florida and we joined a Southern Baptist church. Now, even at that time, I just thought it was a Baptist church in the South. I didn't know it was a separate denomination. And so when I grew up, I grew up in a little town in Milton, New Hampshire, and there was not enough people in town to have a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, a Baptist church, Episcopal church, and the Roman Catholic church. There was only enough, they had a Roman Catholic church, and then all the Protestants met together in what they called a community church. And so I did not grow up under a certain denomination. My dad had Baptist leanings in his background and in, in his seminary training. He was the pastor at the time. But to be honest with you, we grew up saying the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. And uh, we had acolytes. And I remember being a kid and excited to be the one lighting the candles and putting them out because that was part of one of those denominational practices and all. And, 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 uh, We had a christening bowl over in the corner, but my dad never used it because we would always immerse people with baptism. But it was a conglomeration of a lot of stuff. So when I tell you what I'm telling you, please don't think that I'm coming from my years of denominational teaching. When I came to know who God was and what salvation was, it was from simply reading the Bible for itself. And when I would run into places that I didn't understand or became confusing, I kind of put them on hold. And then I finished studying the Scripture best I could as a young boy and a young man to know who God was according to the whole of His book. And then I will go back and look at those tough places and measure them according to what the whole of the Scripture said and who God was. We need to be able to do that because here it sure looks like you can be good in your persistence and go to heaven. But this same guy who wrote this verse wrote chapter 3, verse 20. Look at what it says. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. Now, you understand the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and also the whole of the first five books of the Bible. But how many of you have ever been able to keep all Ten Commandments? Some of you might say, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never murdered. Well, Jesus said if you have angry thoughts towards your brother, it's like murder in the eyes of God. Some of you might say, well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said if you thought lustfully about a woman that's not your wife, you've committed adultery in the eyes of God. Every one of us hopefully understands that we are not able to keep His law, and actually the Scripture says no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. You've heard me talk about James chapter 2, verse 10, which says if you're able to keep the whole law, yet stumble at just one point, you're guilty in the eyes of God as if you broke it all. Actually, what this passage is dealing with is this. Remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to believers and unbelievers that are in this area there in Rome and, and in the church in Rome. Because just because they're in the church doesn't mean they're Christians. And he simply says this. For, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, He'll give eternal life. Now, if you are reading this and you don't understand God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to be good. And God says, good. I want you to try to be good. Actually, that's what He did for the the young lady who was caught in the act of adultery. Remember the story in John chapter 8? She was caught in the act of adultery and these guys grabbed her and they threw at Jesus' feet and they said the law says she should be stoned. And Jesus, of course, says those without sin go ahead and throw the first stone. They all went away. Jesus turned to her and said, where are your accusers? She said, they're gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and don't sin anymore. Now why in the world did Jesus tell her to go and not sin anymore? Because He knew she couldn't, but she needed to understand that she couldn't. Put yourself in her shoes. You came this close to being put to death for your sin. And now you've been spared. And Jesus, the master teacher, whoever He is at that time, she probably didn't know. But Jesus said, don't sin anymore. She probably thought to herself, I'm never doing that again. Have you, have, you, have you ever said that, by the way? How many of you have ever said, I'm never doing that again? How'd it work out for you? He knew that before she could understand her need for Him and grace and salvation as a gift, she had to think she could do it herself. And until she realized she could not do it herself, she wouldn't be ready for the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Admit it, most of the people we talk to in the world today who don't know Jesus, if you ask them if they're going to heaven, they say yes. And they think they're going to heaven, why? Because they're good people. They think they really haven't done that much bad. You can't teach them the good news. That's not good news to them. It's not even news. But for someone who understands the bad news that no one is righteous, not even one, man, that good news is great news. What Paul's doing here is the same thing that Jesus did. He's saying, you want to you have eternal life? You want to have immortality? In persistence, you live a good life. Good luck with that. But then as you try to keep the law, what does verse 20 tell us of chapter 3? What does the law do? It shows, us, it shows us we're sinners. We're all sinners, whether you acknowledge it or not, before Jesus. We're, we're, that's who we are. But the law shows us we can't keep it. Oh, but look at verse 21. There's good news. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who who have faith in Jesus. According to this same Paul, who wrote chapter 2, verse 7, what's the real way that you get eternal life? Jesus. Through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus did what man couldn't do. He lived in a human body, and He was tempted, but He never sinned. And then God punished Him instead of us. And the Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust that what He did covers you, God gives you a gift of salvation. It is not earned. Oh, by the way, hopefully you're still persisting in trying to be good. But it's no longer in a desire to be pleasing to God, but in a desire to show your reverence and your thankfulness for what it is that He's done for you. And to say thank you. I want to live according to what your word says. According to how you've designed my life to work the best. I want to live that way just as a thank you to you. Hopefully none of you are still trying to be good enough that God would like you. He's already, if you're a child of God through Jesus Christ, you're already forgiven, you're already loved, you're already seated in the heavenly realms. How that works makes my head hurt, don't know. But I can tell you this much, you're sealed, you're set. Now you should live your life in persistence and doing good, but just simply to say thank you to God for what He's done. Oh, yes. And, and have other people. i sorry? I didn't catch the end of it. Yeah. And to help other people find Jesus as well. Go ahead. In verse 7 there, you have know, for those of us who do understand that message kind of salvation through Christ. There's like a second layer of truth there too. Because it says, in you know, seeking for glory and honor and immortality, yes. all glory and honor is for is for him. And I like how you put it. For those of us who do understand what Paul's saying here, there is something there for us as well. You're seeking Him and you're seeking His glory and His honor. Exactly. Exactly. So, is God's wrath being demonstrated right now in the world? Yes, but not the full measure. Just the portion of it. He's allowing people, if they want to go down that road, to get a taste of what it is going to be apart from Him. It's like disciplining your kids. It's like disciplining your kids. If you do this, then this is the punishment. Yep. Now. much worse I'm going to say you're right but not fully but I'm going to say hang on to that don't jump to the questions about Haiti just yet because we're going to do a scriptural study on what's going on in Haiti right now and you may be surprised You may be surprised. so just stick with me here we do know that God's wrath is being slightly revealed not the fullness of it but it's being revealed and at the same time it can be avoided it it can be avoided alright We have grace that can, by repentance, we can get out of God's wrath. But when He comes with His full wrath, that's going to be judgment. There's not going to be any. At that else. point, repentance and opportunities for repentance will be gone. Correct. When He comes in His full wrath, well, you remember how uh, we just read that the temple was filled with smoke, and everybody's kind of giving Him space. There's not the repentance part of Him anymore. That that day's gone. That opportunity is closed. All right. But I just want to show you scripturally, though, that what we've looked at already in these scriptures at Romans 2, six, Psalm 62, 11 and 12, Matthew sixteen twenty seven, Proverbs 24 and so on, that talk about how God is going to hold everybody accountable for everything they do and everything they say and everything they think. The same scripture, though, has also been saying all along that God's wrath can be avoided. Alright? They've both been there. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Everybody turn to Psalm 103. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 17. But listen to what Psalm 103 says and tell me if this doesn't sound like the New Testament gospel here. Says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow. For He knows how how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him and His righteousness with their children's children. Isn't that beautiful? That's the New Testament Gospel right there. He won't pay us for what we deserve. He'll forgive our sins. He'll separate our sins as far as the east is from the west. Oh, by the way, um, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. life. Alright? Listen to what it says though in Job chapter 33. You're in the book of Psalms. Go back one book to the book of Job. This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite... Old Testament passages that preaches the gospel of salvation and forgiveness through Jesus Christ even. Look at what it says. We're in in Job 33, starting in verse 23. Alright, we're going to come back to Job 33 in a little bit, so put a bookmark there. But for right now, starting in verse 23, Elihu is speaking and he says, Yet if there is an angel on his side, this is someone... As a mediator, one out of a thousand, to tell him what is right for him, to be gracious to him and say, Spare him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for him. Then his flesh is renewed like a child's. It is restored as in the days of his youth. He prays to God and finds favor with him. He sees God's face and shouts for joy. He is restored by God to his righteous state." Then He comes to men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, but I did not get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and I will live to enjoy the light. God does all these things to a man twice, even three times, to turn back his soul from the pit, that the light of life may shine on him. Man, right there in the book of Job is the clear preaching of the Gospel. That there's a mediator. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that there is one mediator between God and man. Who is it? The man Jesus Christ. And here it talks about how this mediator will say, I found a ransom for him. And this, this guy then, Esther, he's restored by praying to God. It's not by being good, but by praying to God in faith. And then he says, I sinned and I'm not going to get what I deserved. I'm not going to get what I deserve. This gospel of forgiveness, this gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, this gospel of, and the word gospel simply means good news, this good news of God sparing us from His wrath has been in the Scripture all along. I want to show you two places, though, written to the church in 1 Thessalonians. One is chapter 1. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 10. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica and praising God for their faith, he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, says, "...the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere." It's what you were talking about, Neil. "...therefore we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, and it's how He's described, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Look at chapter 5 in the same book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a day coming very soon when the full wrath of God is going to be revealed. And on that day, it will, there will be no more repentance. But the fact that He has not poured out His full wrath as we've been reading in the book of Revelation, what it's going to look like is because He's wanting people to come to repentance. That's why through the tribulation period as we've been studying in the book of Revelation, He, he kind of brings a judgment, but then gives them opportunity to turn to Him in response. And then He brings another judgment and gives them opportunity to turn to Him in response. And people are going to be saved during this time period. He, he sends 144,000 witnesses, Jewish witnesses out into the whole world to preach salvation through Jesus Christ. He sets two witnesses there in Jerusalem and has them preach nonstop, And He won't let anybody kill them until the end of their time period after three and a half years of preaching. He's wanting people to come to repentance. And to say, I need forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God, I am not righteous. I'm not worthy to be considered your child, but you've made it possible if I believe, and I believe that what Jesus did was to take my place. And I believe He rose from the dead. And I believe He's God and I want Him to give me salvation. Folks, God is slow to anger. Oh, but when He comes in His judgment, He is pure in every aspect of who He is which means when His wrath is poured out, it won't be lacking in any area. So, let's deal with this tough question then. What about what's happening in Haiti? Is this the wrath of God? If you've been following the news at all, you've got some preachers out there saying that this is the wrath of God on the nation of Haiti because of their sinfulness and their pact with the devil that they signed back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. There are others who are saying it's not the wrath of God. I'm going to give you the biblical answer tonight. We don't know. I'm going to show you why I say that. The biblical answer to that question is Is this the wrath of God on the nation of Haiti? is this. We don't know. And I'm going to show you why. Because God does destroy physical locations because of sin and because of their evil inhabitants. God has done this in the past. Can you give me an example? So and more. Can you give me an example that happened prior to that? How about the flood? Have you ever thought about that? So would God do that? Yes, He would. So don't say God wouldn't do that. Yes, He would. But what about this instance? Sometimes God uses other nations to bring judgment, not just catastrophic events. Sometimes He uses other nations to bring judgment. Remember, when He wiped out the nation of Israel, or even prior to that, when He used the nation of Israel as His instrument of judgment against the wicked nations. Sometimes, though, these catastrophic events, though, come as warnings of coming wrath and opportunities to turn people to Him. Go back to Job 33. I told you to put a bookmark there. I didn't listen to myself, and I have to turn there myself. So. But in Job 33, in that passage we were reading, that wonderful preaching of the gospel of salvation through Jesus. Look at what it says, though. I'm in Psalm. Job 33 here. Look at what it says, starting in verse 12. See, Job has just said, I am sinless. And Elihu says... But I tell you, in this you are not right. Verse 12, chapter 33. For God is greater than man. Why do you complain to Him that He answers none of man's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another. Though man may not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings to turn man from wrongdoing and to keep him from pride, to preserve his soul from the pit his life from, by, from perishing by the sword. Or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in his bones so that his very being finds food repulsive and his soul loathes the choicest meal. His flesh wastes away to nothing and his bones once hidden now stick out. His soul draws near to the pit and his life to the messengers of death. Yet, if there's an angel on his side as a mediator, one out of a thousand to tell a man what is right for him, to be gracious to him and to say, spare him from going down to the pit. I found a ransom for him. Then his flesh is renewed renewed like a child's. It is restored as in the days of his youth. He prays to God and finds favor with him. He sees God's face and shouts for joy. He is restored by God to his righteous state. Then he comes to men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, but I did not get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit and I will live to enjoy the light. God does all these things to a man Twice even three times, to turn back his soul from the pit that the light of life may shine on him. Do you realize that some of these catastrophic, catastrophic events, I'm having trouble saying that word tonight, do you realize some of these are simply God's way of saying, wake up? It's a warning? Go right ahead. My impression from what we've read so far tonight is that wrath is a personal thing. Okay. is directed at me or you. Mm-hmm. And, and so with your examples of wrath, like the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah, I have to wonder if there was any in Sodom and Gomorrah or on the earth against which the wrath was poured out, but who was righteous? No. Well, in those instances, there were not. Then, mm-hmm. if that's the case... Is it possible that there is some person in Haiti who's righteous, righteous? without question? And therefore, if they have, if this was God's wrath, were they spared? Well, and here's the thing, and agreed. And here's what it's a very good point. Now, keep this in mind. There's possible that in someone's instance, it was the wrath of God, and his time came up in this. There could be possible in other people's instance that it was just a warning. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I you can't say it's a blanket, God's wrath on the nation so, of Haiti. So there is no collateral wrath damage. No, there's not collateral wrath damage for the righteous. Not at all. And actually, the best passage that sums all this up is in Luke chapter 13. As you deal with Luke 13 or deal with the people who're talking about Haiti, go to Luke 13 with them. It's a passage, actually, you don't hear preached on very much, but it's a very interesting uh, story, and it's actually only recorded in Luke. Of all the four Gospels, only Luke records this that I know of. I haven't found it anywhere else. And you are jumping ahead of me, by the way, you rascal. It says, but now there were some present at that time, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices? Now, for those of you who don't understand, in history, Pilate, we always see Pilate as wishy washy. You know, because when it came time to either free Jesus or to have him crucified, Pilate was all scared and didn't want to have the people mad at him. And he says, he washed his hands and said, I have nothing to do with this man. And we've always seen Pilate as a wishy washy wimp. Let me tell you something about the history of who Pilate actually was. Pilate was a hard ruler and he was too hard of a ruler so much so that he was in trouble from his superiors that if he didn't get control of the people he was governing there in the area of Israel that he was going to lose his position. See, back then when Roman armies would come in and they invaded uh, uh, Israel, the, the Jews were, you know, God had said you'll have no graven images. And the Romans used to have these idol things they put on top of their flagpoles as they marched in with their banners. Well, that was an offense to the Jewish people that there would be a graven image. And so a lot of the Roman rulers would take those off just in honor of the people as they came in and did their, even though they were controlling that area. When Pilate came as governor, he said, I don't care what y'all think. And he put them back on. Here we see there's actually a story where Pilate had some of these people, while they were sacrificing, he had them killed and mixed their blood in with the sacrifice. And he was so hard of a ruler and so mean of a man that actually the Jewish people were starting to go over his head to the Roman authorities and saying, Look, this guy's, I mean, we understand you guys won the battle, we understand you guys are in power, but this guy is way too hard. And there were starting to be rebellions against the Roman leadership because of Pilate. Pilate had just prior to Jesus showing up been given an edict from his authorities that said if you don't get control and there's a rebellion, you lose your job. So now you have Jesus come on the scene, and all these people are saying, put him to death. He knows this guy hadn't done anything wrong. He tried him. He sent him off to someone else to have him try. He came back. He didn't want to deal with him. But now it's either put Jesus to death or have a rebellion because all these people are saying we want him killed. So to quiet the rebellion so he could keep his job, he had Jesus put to death. Pilate wasn't as wishy-washy as we think. But at this point, he was trying to keep his job. So they said they told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Look at what Jesus says in response to this. He didn't say, oh, that's terrible. Listen to what He says. He said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18, Jesus brings up another instance. He says, or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Might have been an earthquake there. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, they weren't. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So going back to what you were talking about, was the, is it the wrath of God in Haiti? Actually, most likely not. Because if it were, the total analogy, there is not collateral wrath damage on believers. But, it still could be in some individual's life. We don't know. So the true answer is, we don't know. But, to stand up and say, this is God's wrath. Now, be careful, folks. Be careful. I remember back in 9-11, when the planes went into the building, people saying, that's the wrath of God. Is it the wrath of God? I think it's the wrath of God. Well, I'm not sure. Folks, let me just tell you, if you're questioning whether it's the wrath of God, probably not the wrath of God. Because according to the Scriptures, when He executes His wrath, there's no question. I don't think anybody said during the flood, is this the wrath of God? (laughs) But because of the fact that God is able to execute judgment in this way, we can't say absolutely not. Because it could be in some individuals' situations the time came for their judgment. But as a whole, most likely not. But is it a warning? Oh yeah, it's a warning. Oh, and by the way, there was an earthquake in the Cayman Islands today. What did Jesus say? Pains. Birth pains. There's going to be earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places. These are the beginning of birth pains. Any questions before we move on? So I want to do Song of Moses in the last five minutes we have here. Alright? Praise God, by the way, for the opportunity and what's going on in the nation of Haiti. Because you know what? God is moving. He causes all things to work for good for those who love Him and are aligned with His purposes. It can turn into a good thing. And actually, right now, people are turning to God in faith. Oh, they've been religious down there. Those of you who have been to Haiti, you know. But they've got a mixture of voodoo and all this kind of weird stuff. They don't understand the true teaching of who who God is through the Bible. But right now, they're ready for truth. They're ready for help. And praise the Lord, a lot of Christian ministries are just flooding that area uh, with help. It's a huge open window. And God's going to do mighty things. I don't believe it's the full wrath of God on the nation of Haiti. That much I can say. But whether or not individuals, their time came, that's between them and God. That's not my call. But go back to Revelation chapter 15 and let's wrap up with this Song of Moses thing. In verse 2, John says of chapter 15, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire... And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image, and over the number of his name, they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. By the way, that's where people get this, we're going to be in heaven playing harps stuff. But actually, the only ones playing harps are the tribulation saints. Alright? These are the ones who came to Christ and lived through the tribulation, or died during the tribulation and, and came to faith in Christ and, and all. But... They sang the song of Moses. Now, if you were studying this by yourself, what would you do with this? Sang the song of Moses. Go you go try to find the song of Moses, wouldn't you? So, where what is the song of Moses, right? Well, go back to Exodus chapter 15. I'll speed you up. Those of you who have study Bibles, there'll be a little cross-reference in there that'll help you find it. Some of your study Bibles might even have notes at the bottom, but go to Exodus chapter 15. Because of time, we're not going to read the whole song, because the song's actually kind of long. I was going to have Cindy sing it for us, but uh, um, she probably doesn't know the tune. But uh, In Exodus chapter 15, look what it says, the song of Moses and Miriam. Miriam is Moses' sister, by the way. I'm going to read just a portion of it. You'll get the idea. This is right after the nation of Israel walks across the Red Sea on dry ground. Remember, God parted the waters and the walls of the the sea stood up on each side. The whole nation of Israel marched through. The Egyptians chased after them. And the moment the Israelites finished passing through... God just brought the water all back together and drowned all of the enemy. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider, He is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariot's and his army. He's hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like stone. And then it goes on to talk about the greatness of God. Uh, And so what I want you to see here is the song of Moses is a song of God's victory and of God's righteous judgment. I'm going to say it again. The song of Moses is a song of God's victory and His righteous judgment. What does John see back here in Revelation chapter 15? He sees these seven angels with the seven last bowls of God's wrath and His plagues on the earth. And those, those uh, Christians that have come to faith during the tribulation who have been put to death for their faith are now standing by the sea, which is, looks like it's mixed with fire, and they've got harps and they're singing a song of God's victory and His righteous judgment, which is about to be poured out. You are right in doing what you do, God. You are right in what you're doing. And they're singing a song similar to the one of Moses. They might even be singing the Moses, horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. And now he's about to do these things as well. When we come back next week, we're going to talk about global warming. Because you're going to see the biblical definition of global warming in one of these bowls of wrath of God. Alright? So we'll deal with that. I want to thank you all for coming. Let me pray for us and then we can enjoy each other's time together. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that as we see here tonight from your word that you are holy and that you're just. And Lord, some of us, uh, we struggle with the fact that sometimes we think that the, the evil people, if you will, or the, those who don't live like they're supposed to are getting away with it, but your word shows that that's not going to be the case. Lord, some of us probably feel like the psalmist in Psalm 73, that when we see the way the wicked prosper, it makes it hard for us sometimes. But then in Psalm 73, the psalmist said, but then I remembered what's going to happen to them in the end. And I thank you for the fact that you spared me. Father, thank you for the fact that your wrath is not going to be executed on us who have said yes through Jesus Christ. And it's, it's not because of anything we've done. It's just simply because you are slow to anger, abounding in love, in, full of compassion. That's who you are. When Moses wanted to see you, and, and you said that he couldn't see your face, but you'll just give him a glimpse of your back, and you walked by him, that's your name you proclaimed, that you are full of love, slow to anger, full of compassion. Father, may we know that that's your heart. And Lord, even in the midst of the... Chaos that's going on in Haiti. We know that you are giving wake up calls and you're still giving opportunity for repentance. There might be individuals that their time came and the time of judgment is upon them. And Lord, we just feel bad that that would be the case. But I know who you are and you have revealed yourself to them in many ways. And if they're being judged, it's because they said no and you gave them an opportunity. Thank you for the fact that your word teaches that everyone gets an opportunity to believe. But Lord, at the same time, we want to worship You tonight. We want to thank You for the fact that we are now spared Your wrath. Father, I pray that this truth would sink into our hearts. That when things happen to us after salvation, it's not because You're angry. It's not because You're punishing us. Because under Jesus and through His blood, Jesus cried out on the cross, it's finished, it's paid in full. And Lord, may that truth sink into our minds tonight that when something happens in our life that we think is bad or we think is a judgment of God, may we understand that to think that You have to punish us at all for our sin is to say that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. Lord, He paid fully for our sin and thank You for that. But Lord, at the same time, You still discipline us. You still shape us. You still mold us through circumstances but it's coming from your hand of love. And you've already proven you love us through Jesus Christ. And so may we walk in boldness and confidence and peace and joy because you have spared us your wrath. Oh, and thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, please, through us and through any method you desire, get this message out to people before the time comes of this final day of the Lord that we've been studying about in this book of Revelation.